the spirit of competition should be fun. Just like when you played wiffle ball, you didn't do it because it was a chore. You did it because you really enjoy competing with your neighbor or your buddy. Uh, just like when you go play dunk hoops, right? You're not doing that because you have to win. You're trying to get a college scholarship. You're, you're going because you like to just compete. So competition is fun. That's like the mindset of us at all the time. And so when does competition really feel stressful? And it's the back half of a game. And so we try to capture moments in our, anytime we do something that's like backyard baseball or bowling or whatever it is that's not actually baseball. And we just really show who had fun during those moments and who got tight and the kids who got tight, we try to walk them through or not walk them through, but just say, you know, try to find, try to find the joy and try to have the fun in what you were doing. Uh, because as soon as you start getting nervous or you start getting antsy, you're not going to pick up that spare or, you know, you're going to swing at a bad pitch and double or nothing when you don't have to swing until you're ready type stuff. And if your parents don't know about it, it's not a lack of me not being prepared. It's a lack of you not communicating. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the High School Coaches Club. I'm your host, Max Price. I always know things are getting serious when I place the order for our team hats. And this year we are celebrating the 70th season of Saxon baseball here at South Sound High School in Oregon. So we designed some pretty sick caps to commemorate it and press send on the order this past week. Meanwhile, some of you are already in preparations for fall sports playoffs. And we've got uh, winter sports right around the corner, too. Just a lot going on. So thanks for joining me in this busy time of the year. And I hope this episode helps you in some way. And I'm sure it will. A huge thank you to Will Miner and the gang over at Netting Pros. They've powered the high school coaches club for years. And if you need any facility improvements, make them your first call. Not only will they help you design it, but they'll do it all custom for you. From the fabrication to the installation, they've got you covered for netting, digital graphic, wall padding, turf, turf protectors, cubbies, windscreen, ball carts, you name it, man. They crush the baseball and softball world on a daily basis, but they also get after it in football, soccer, lacrosse, track and field, golf courses, and just about any sport you can imagine. They are truly making facilities better all across America, providing high-quality products and services for facilities, fields, courses, and stadiums throughout the country, not only at the high school level, but for recreation collegiate and professional sports as well you can contact them today by calling 844-620-2707 emailing info at nettingpros.com visiting their website nettingpros.com or by checking them out on twitter instagram facebook and linkedin for all their latest products and projects netting pros they're improving programs one facility at a time in this episode, I'm joined by one of the best humans I know. Back in the summer of 2007, after graduating high school, I had the opportunity to play Legion baseball for a super young collegiate assistant baseball coach. It wound up being the most fun I'd ever had playing the game. Fast forward 16 years, I don't know how that's possible, seriously. I checked the math like three or four times. 16 years, and we're both now a little bit older, uh, hopefully a little bit wiser, and both coaching 6A baseball teams here in Oregon. It's weird to say his first name, though, as he's always just kind of been Griff to me, but Colin Griffin is hitting the 10-year mark as the head baseball coach for Jesuit High School here in Oregon, where he's coached two stud pitchers who are both top 15 MLB draft picks out of high school in just the last three years alone. He's also won two state championships and constantly churned out some of the grittiest, most talented squads in the state. He also became the school's newest athletic director over this past summer, a job that certainly provides him with a new set of challenges to overcome. Had a 
ton of fun recording this with him, and I'm honored to have had the opportunity. So let's do it. Let's dive in. It's episode 92 with Colin Griffin. <laughs> Griff, thanks for doing this, man. Yeah, I'm really excited. So so excited. I remember the the like I think the most fun time I ever had playing baseball was uh, playing for you and it was that summer between my like senior year of high school and the first year of, of college and it was uh you know playing legion baseball here in salem and i just remember the the uh, to be able to play baseball like 50 get you know 55 games and you know practice maybe three or four times and just the the environment is just is the most fun i've ever had playing baseball and i tell people that a lot when they ask like oh how's the griff guy Jesuit? actually the most fun i ever had playing baseball was with that guy it, um, I mean, I still, when people ask about you, I say Max is probably still my favorite kid I've ever coached. I mean, you put a smile on everybody's face. Uh, you went out and worked your tail off everything you did, but we just had fun. Everyone was in it, uh, to compete and go beat up on teams, but you guys all just smiled the whole time through doing it. It was by far, um, one of the most memorable experiences as being a coach. And I mean, that was uh, almost 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. That's weird to think about now. Yeah, it's 2000, well, that's 2007. We're getting really close to it. I remember too, cause you were an assistant coach at Willamette university and that's where we played, you know, those Legion games back then. And I remember you had like an apartment, like in the bleachers of the football stadium. So like it was baseball time and you would just kind of like walk out of your house, basically down to the field. There, yeah, it was my, uh, I had the best backyard ever. I, uh, I was living in the, the dorms uh, at the football stadium. And so I used to always say best backyard ever because I had tennis courts. I had a football field. I had a track, I had a baseball field. Uh, we would use the concession stand for, uh, for um, you know, storing our, our, our milk and <laughs> whatever. But it was a great, great setup for, I mean, I think I was 24, 25 years old. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun, but yeah, just walk right over. I remember one time we had to pull the tarp and in the summer, you don't think about pulling no. the tarp and at about two in the morning, I, I jumped up as like, Oh no, the sprinklers are on. <laughs> so I had to just, <laughs> I had to run, uh, just, you know, into my backyard and turn the sprinkler system off. So it didn't go on, uh, while the field was tarped. Dude, that's crazy. I remember, uh, I remember, there's just so many good memories from that season but i remember for a long time there was you and a, a guy named reese mccauley people listening like what are these guys talking about but i don't care uh, and he was uh, you know pitched with us and went to sprague and everything and uh, ended up going to linfield and i remember uh many memories of i played first base and i would look over in the dugout and you and reese would just be staring at me laughing almost every single game the entire summer and i remember playing for space and trying so hard to like be serious about playing for space but i'd just be looking over and it'd be cracking up because you guys were cracking up and i never knew why because we would just be going we're like what do you think max thinking about right now like right this <laughs> second what is max thinking about and then you would see us just... <laughs> yeah and then, yeah we couldn't keep a straight face uh it's funny you mentioned that um uh, because I remember you and your group, Reese got into it. Uh, Doug Bloom got really mm -hmm. into it. You guys got into like haunted houses and stuff. And yeah. I remember uh, we went down to Southern Oregon and you guys had found this haunted place. And you, for whatever reason, you know, I tried to keep the, the distance between player and coach. 
But when it came to the haunted stuff, somehow I became a kid just like you. And you guys, you invite me to go see these haunted houses. Like, I'm in. Let's go. And we, went I think to the, could, we went to the Oregon Vortex on our way back from a game one time. It was the end of the year. Yeah, right? The other we're, van went home and our van just pulled off the road and went to the Vortex. Cyril was Cyril, who was driving the other van, was like, "Hey, where did you guys go?" I was like, "I don't know. We just we pulled off I five and went to the went to the uh, Southern Oregon Vortex and spent about two hours over there." <laughs> it was a lot of fun. So anyway, yeah, I, people ask me all the time what the most fun I've ever had. I'm like, dude, it was playing Legion baseball. That's why it kind of makes me sad seeing Legion baseball become. I don't know if it's less important, but like less. I don't know. Less guys play it now with everything else going on. It's like, man, it was the most fun I've ever had doing baseball. Yeah, but you know, it, again, it was a tribute to the the older kids. It was a tribute to Reese coming back. Um, you played a huge role as being a, a, a graduate senior for us um, because you guys really live that motto that all of us coaches talk about. It's like you got to find that fine line of keeping the kids having fun. I mean, you're playing baseball every single day. You got to make sure it's fun, but also you got to be professional and get your job done. And you guys just lived that line. It was so fun. One of the best experiences. Again, I've been coaching for about 20 years now and how fortunate I was to have a group of kids like you and leaders like you uh, for that first introduction of being a head coach. Well, and then it didn't take you long because then I think it was, if I remember right, you were, you, you were the head coach that summer and then you, it was almost like an emergency license situation. I might be remembering it wrong, but you immediately became the head coach at Lake Ridge High School, a little bit farther north. Yeah, I'll never forget telling you guys I wasn't coming back because it was, uh, you guys were like, yeah, but you'll still come back and coach the summer with us, right? And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, you know, I the year before that season with you guys, I, I moved to Germany because uh, you know, as a Division three baseball player, I was an average Division three baseball player. Um, and the, my goal was to become a college baseball coach, whether it meant a head baseball coach or an infield coach or whatever it might be. But I didn't really have the best resume for getting it out there to the college uh, circuit. And so um, I remember I, in fact, Doug, Dougie Bloom came and visited me um, when I had the surgery. My appendix ruptured. I was, I was doing everything I could to resist going to the hospital because I had like this pain in my stomach, but I had a really important flag football game I wanted to play in. And then the movie Walk the Line came out and I talked, my, but, my, my buddy talked me into not going to the hospital, but go see Walk the Line in Wilsonville <laughs> with him. And so I came home and at midnight, I woke up my roommate and said, hey, something's wrong with me. And I was shaking and he goes, oh, we got to get you in. So they took me in the emergency room. Um, and they said, yeah, your appendix has ruptured. We need to go in emergency surgery and get this out now. And I woke up the next morning and my phone rang and it had like 30 digits on it. It's like, man, this morphine is strong. <laughs> it turned out to be a phone call from Germany offering me a head, uh, the head job of the Bundesliga. And I was like, what is going on here? But I, I, I needed to do it. And I was 24 years old. Uh, and so I went overseas. I was... And I studied Spanish in high school and college. I didn't know anything about Germany. Uh, in fact, the first time I stepped foot on, on German soil, basically, I walked into the women's bathroom because mm. the language, Damen, D-A-M-E-N, is women's. And Herren, H-E-R-R-E-N, I think is how you spell it, means men. And I was just trying to use like 
common knowledge here is like, dumb man, great. I'll walk in there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I walked, yeah, I started off um, really young and uh, we did well. We made it to the, the, the playoffs uh, for the first time in club history. Uh, and the whole thing in European baseball is you don't want to go into relegation because you mm-hmm. lose a ton of money if you drop down to tears. Uh, and so we made it to the playoffs and it was crazy because our, I remember when we clinched the playoffs for the first time ever, our, our club manager, our, our club uh, owners were like, Hey, great job. Great season. Hopefully next year. And I was like, wait, we still have playoffs to go. And like, yeah, we didn't, we didn't think you were going to get that far. So I'm not sure we have the money to make payroll. If you go <laughs> next year, if you go next year. <laughs> uh, and so I called up my buddy and said, what do I do? And he goes, can you do any more over there? And I was like, no, I mean, we made it to the playoffs. He says, you've done what you can do. Um, huh. Come home, you know, coach. And so then I went back to Willamette, coached at Willamette. And then this is a long story to get to it, so I apologize. Uh, but some kid I was not some a great kid, a great family. I was doing just like some private lessons with. And the dad applied me for the Lakeridge job. And I got a phone call from the AD while I was coaching you guys. I mean, on our way down to... Southern Oregon. I think we were playing in Ro- uh, Met- Roseburg is where the state tournament was. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Donnie Harrell was the guest speaker there, which was incredible. Um, and I got a phone call from Lakeridge saying, we want to offer you the job. And I was like, uh, I, I was just doing it for the experience. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not sure I want that. But then I went up to Lakeridge and saw the facilities. I knew that Dave Gasser uh, had made that city just a baseball town. Um, and it was, it was a job that not many people were after. And so I just, uh, I think this is what I need to do. I think this is need to continue my growth as being a coach. Um, and my dad is my dad, who was a former, uh, professional football coach for uh, the Redskins at the time, uh, college football, Northwestern university told me, he's like, if you really are serious about coaching and you want to have a family, get out of college, go to high school. Mm -hmm. And so that was all in my brain when I had to tell you guys when, when that was such a, uh, like such a great group with Nell Dodgers. I mean, Dave with Nell was amazing to us. Art Cummings was amazing to us. Um, You guys were so fun to coach, but I, I, I do remember telling you guys, I will not be coming back. And that was hard. That was really hard for me to tell you. I think one of the I think I have a few buddies and you know a few of them too that uh, a lot of them obviously that you know have gone the college baseball route and even I know a couple in college basketball and my god like, like the the time you put in and the hours you put in and the weird timing of those hours all of that combined with pretty much no one makes any money in in the college game and, and Till and unless and if you know all the luck and the fortune and the good stuff works out to where you end up getting some of those top tier jobs like they just kind of scrape by forever until they either quit or like i said until you know the fortunes align and they they can get one of those jobs that pays a little bit more and so i think a lot of us probably were in that same boat where it's like ah, you know college is where i want to be and then when you start kind of take a step back and you look through that and versus the the high school job and it just the like you said having a family it, Everything kind of points towards going into high school. Yeah, 100%. And in high school, when we say that, we mean also get into the education because high school yeah. sports itself, we're not in Texas, uh, <laughs> no. doesn't pay the bills. It's 
get in, get your master's, get involved in the education, uh, and then get involved in, in coaching. Yeah. I remember uh, we, we did a, 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 a with Nell when we did Legion baseball, we did a camp at some point. And I think part of I have these are like vague memories that I'm piecing together, but I remember part of it was like held at the softball field and the other part we did at the baseball field and we like split the camp up or something. Anyway, I remember walking back over like the, the little walk bridge that goes over um, over 12th street or something like that, going back yeah, towards uh, campus. Yeah. And we were talking to you about, um, the your your own high school experience in back in those times which is weird to talk about now but it wasn't like now where i can you know there's millions of video of guys you know playing in all these showcases and everything where i can like see every high school field in the country and like it's really easy to so i remember you were talking about jesuit and you kept calling it the campus and like our camp and i'm like what are you what are you talking about the campus and it was always and even then i don't know if i ever piece it together till later but it's like I think deep down there was this understanding that eventually that's where you wanted to end up. And so it's kind of cool. I remember when you, you took over that job, I don't know, 2014, 2015, 2016, somewhere in that range. And I remember it, 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 being really excited for you because it, it, it had been a place that you talked about. So, um, I don't know, with, with such contentment for a long time that it was, it was exciting to hear you getting to kind of go back home. Yeah. Um, this place, I, I just, yeah, um, it yeah it just brings back so much so much pride and memories for that experience. Um, because if you don't mind, can I give a little backstory to how I took the job? Yeah, definitely. Uh, like when I took the job at at Lake Ridge, um, it was a new administration for the most part. Uh, baseball really wasn't on the map. This was at the time period where lacrosse was booming. You know, everyone was losing their baseball. Baseball coaches were losing their sixth, seventh, and eighth grade classes to lacrosse. It was just a growing, exciting uh, place. And where baseball was still, we didn't have people like you doing these podcasts for coaches to really have that professional development. You had to wait for that once a year or twice a year coaches convention that Gatto would put on or the ABCA. Mm -hmm. But there wasn't a lot, at least in my perspective, there wasn't a lot of these uh uh, resources for coaches to just get better. I mean, driving to work now, listening to your podcasts, you can listen to people in, 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 uh, you know, North Carolina or, or Ohio that are going through the same scenarios. We didn't have that. Uh, and so when I took that job, uh, at Lakeridge, it was all I knew was, well, I don't want to suck anymore. So <laughs> what, what can we do? And, and the first thing it was, was we've got to improve the facilities. we got to show growth. Yeah. We've got to show the community that things are changing. It's not just going to be the same thing. And so my first day on the job, I called up my best friend from Jesuit, who we're still best of friends. In fact, he's now a coach here uh, doing track, but he owns a landscape company. And he and his dad came over. They stopped what they're doing with their daily operations, which is in summer, a lot of work brought over a skid steer, flipped it over and ripped the field out for me. Um, and then Matt Allison, who was the coach at Willamette, he came up yeah. and we just took that dirt that we ripped out and we made a bullpen while all, and I remember the community coming out. It was almost like the scene from field of dreams. It was like this moron, what's he doing? Where are you guys going to play? Um, <laughs> and it really was like the first couple of weeks people would see me, just out there with a the rake and, and Mike Hebro came and laser graded it. Um, and then all of a sudden more, more people started asking questions and how can I help? How can I help? What do you want? And, you know, as soon as we gave them a vision and I wasn't 
somebody who was just like all talk and actually was willing to get my hands dirty and, and show I wanted to be there for the kids and be there for the community. That place just, they just all came in and it be, it became such a tight group. Uh, our, the administration at the time, they bought in, they wanted to throw out the first pitch of our, of our first game. Uh, I met my wife there and she was, uh, she was also just part of that nice, like, welcome to Lake Ridge. This, this community is not, it's not normal. Lake Ridge is really so inclusive. And, um, and I truly felt it. And, and by the time uh, Jesuit had said, there's an, there's an opening, would you like to come interview? I honestly went to the interview in the back of my mind saying, I can't leave Lake Ridge right now. This is mm-hmm. a team that I have that can win state. I know this group that we finally have assembled that the kids have come through the youth program. The youth is strong. The hallways recognize baseball now. Um, I wasn't ready to go, but as soon, and again, long story to get to your comment, and I appreciate it. Um, as soon as I opened those the, the double doors to the Knight Center lobby, which is where we had our, our interview, I just felt this is home. This is what I, this is what I love. This is what I appreciated. Uh, my uncles went here. My dad was the head football coach here, uh, late 70s, early 80s. My brother um, got drafted here uh, out of Jesuit. He was starting quarterback. Um, my sister was the first female class to, to walk in the halls of Jesuit. So as soon as I walked in I, and I saw familiar faces like our campus minister, Don Clark, um, Mike Hughes, who was my religion teacher, uh, athletic director, it, it just brought back all the pride that I have for the Jesuit community. Um, and so it was, again, tough for me to say goodbye to Lake Ridge because the families, the community, the players, they were everything I could have asked for uh, and more. Um, but I I couldn't let go of what this emotion was that Jesuit brought back to me. For people listening that have no idea what Jesuit High School is or the size of it, where it is exactly, can you kind of go through just a, a kind of an overview of like the, you know, what is Jesuit High School? Yeah, Jesuit's a private Catholic um, high school. It's ninth uh, through 12th grade. Uh, we have about 330 kids per kid, uh, so per class. Uh, so over 1,200 kids at our, at our school. Uh, male and female, which isn't common for a Jesuit high school. A lot of Jesuits are male only. Um, and in the early 90s, um, Father Hayes uh, was our president at the time, um, opened up uh, females to to enroll at Jesuit high school. Um, it is uh, in the middle of Beaverton, but it's got a Portland address. Um, which that's a whole nother conversation. I'm confident it was Beaverton when I was here and all of a sudden now we're Portland. But anyway, uh, it's, (laughs) it truly is. If you walk on our campus, it looks like, um, a college facility. Um, our facilities are, our grass is mowed. It's green. They're edged. Um, there's carpet in the hallways. There's no garbage on the hallways. Uh, we take pride in making sure garbage actually ends up, uh, in the garbage and not just left where it is. Uh, it's intentional that uh, our our facilities look clean, uh, and it's it's a it's a part of uh, who we are as an institution. And um, it's it's a school that really focuses on uh, 
you know, understand that there's a greater glory than just ourselves, that we do represent that Christ is in us uh, and in all of us. Um, love the fact that we offer mass to our student body uh, every Friday uh, during second period. Uh, and it's very well attended. And if you do not wish to attend, whether uh, you're not a practicing uh, Catholic um, or you just don't choose to, to attend mass, you have a study hall where it's silent. But we have students that attend mass that are not Catholic, that just enjoy the sense of kind of prayer um, and centering. Um, and so it's, 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 yeah, that's, that's kind of just Jesuit as, as it is as a school. As far as the athletics program, um, you know, it depends on who you are and what you think, but I, I, I guess I could put it out there now that we don't actively recruit, even though people assume that Jesuit just goes out and, and pulls the best talent from around the Portland area. I can promise you that I don't go to an eighth grade baseball game and select. I want that kid, that kid, and that kid. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, nor does our football coach, nor does our, our, our soccer coaches or volleyball coaches. Um, we are fortunate that um, kids want to come to Jesuit. The name recruits itself, I believe. Um, all of us coaches put on a summer camp and, you know, that's a chance where we get a chance to see the kids in the community. Um, and once we get to see them, we can talk to them. But the one thing I do love that we take pride in is if we get a sense that a kid wants to come to Jesuit uh, specifically just for the athletics, all of us coaches say, you're not going to fit in here. You need to be more than just athletics. It's got to be, you want to be somebody that wants to serve uh, on campus ministry, somebody that wants to lead an encounter, somebody that, um, you know, wants to be involved in some other extracurricular other than just athletics. Um, yeah, and so we've been successful uh, in the last few decades, uh, but it, our, it's, it's not like we just roll out the balls. Our kids have high expectations of each other. Our coaches have high expectations of themselves. Um, and yeah, we've been we've been pretty good at what we've been doing. When you walked in there, right? You you know you realized this is home. So I assume the interview went well. That you become you know obviously you get named the the head baseball coach. So uh, basically, day one, you're the head baseball coach. Like, what are your what were your next steps at that time? What were you looking at? What were you trying to figure out? What were you doing? What was that process for you once you took over the program? Yeah, it was two different steps. At Lakeridge, my first step was, all right, how do I recruit? My goal at Lakeridge day one was my success of, of year one will be I have three teams. Hmm. And to talk about that, why was that a success? Because it meant in years past, they only had two. And I'll never sure. forget the best player at Lakeridge my first year. I had, I had some really talented seniors, but was a kid named Jack Carlton, who was the only freshman that had catcher's gear <laughs> uh, <but. laughs> and he was struggling academically. And we had the entire community. We had the entire, every single teacher of his and administrator kept their eye on Jack Carlton to make sure that he passed all his classes so he could be eligible. Because <laughs> <laughs> if he didn't, we had no one else that could catch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, I mean, that's like how uh, I started with Lakeridge, like that type of grassroots type. When I came to Jesuit, it was totally different. Coach Massey had done an amazing job of, um, you know, showing that we expect you to be in the weight room. We expect you to work out when nobody's looking. 
uh, when you come from like Coach Massey had all these kids in line. So I didn't have to reinvent anything. It was actually let me figure out what these seniors are like, what are they capable of and how hungry are they? And let's utilize that and put off-season workouts together. Let's put together like how hard are they are they going to show up at 6 a.m. for bullpens? You know, let's see how much we can push and challenge them to see how much they really want to be better than what they were. Uh, and so they were really honest. These seniors were leaders. Um, they owned up to what they wanted. Um, and we weren't the most talented group by any means. But they, because of their camaraderie and their leadership skills, um, I am confident that that 2015 team is the reason why Jesuit's been successful the last nine years is because they set the tone for me uh, for what Jesuit baseball should look like. I think you got, you guys win the state title that very next year. Was it 2016, the first one? Yeah, 2016. We yeah. won it the next year. Um, and talk about, you know, Oregon baseball state championships is different than a lot of others where it's oh my double gosh, we were a team that got hot at the right time. We finished third in our division, our conference. So for whomever's listening uh, in Oregon, you obviously know it's by league, but other states might refer to it differently. But anyway, we finished third in our league, but we're ranked number third in our state. And it showed how strong our league was that year. And we mm-hmm. just caught fire at the right time. And um, again, it was it was senior-driven and it was lower level kids following with what the seniors direction was. And, you know, once you get to playoffs, you just stay out of their way if, if they're on path or they're on track to what you want them to do. Right. That's what I was asked recently about like what we do for playoff practices and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And I, I, uh, it was when I was with Jonathan Gellner on his podcast and I, you know, I was like, I, I was like, I, I, I don't think we really change anything really. I mean, they're by that time of the year, we're probably practicing a, a, a little bit shorter, more so just to give guys a little bit more rest. But I was like, I don't really think we change much of anything. Um, I, I think you hit it on the head. Like uh, Oregon high school playoffs are, I think there's a few other States that do it that way too, but like you can, you get into a first round matchup and we saw it this year with Lake Ridge, actually um, you, you go into the playoffs and you could get matched up against a team that has one just really good arm and your whole season could end in a, in a second because you just ran into a buzzsaw and, and you maybe didn't get a hit here or there and that's it. That's the end of your season. Goodbye. And so the, the high school playoffs in Oregon and some other States like it are there. <laughs> it's, it's hard. It's very hard. And, you know, and I've been, my teams have been burnt by it, but at the same time, my teams have grown by it. Uh, so it, it's, it's, it, I wish we would reconsider it. I wish it would be, and Scott McDonald has done a great job of presenting some really good facts to the OSAA about how we can make this better because baseball is a different sport. You can't, there's no other sport where game one, you can play your quarterback or you play your best player, and then game two, he has to sit out, or he doesn't get to play that position anymore. Right? Name another sport. I mean, softball, you use the same arm. Yep. Uh, football, you got you got a stud running back and, and, and an offensive line that can block. You got to use them every, the whole time, right? Baseball, we got – you got one arm, and you got to learn how to use them right. Um, I mean, I – one year we had a really good year. I think it was 2018 and the first round game bases were loaded. 
balls hit to the third baseman. All he had to do was touch third base, inning over. Who knows how the game would have ended? But instead, he tried. He threw the ball across the diamond, missed. Uh, it was a short hop to the first baseman. He missed it. It's a huge apron. All the runs scored. They ended up putting nine on in that same inning. They pulled their starting pitcher, uh, who was college-bound, pulled him after 20 pitches. So they brought him back on Wednesday against us, and he threw a no-hitter against us. Perfect, yeah. <laughs> was like, God. That's a, one thing I'm always fascinated every year is just for um, – I know what we kind of tend to do, but I love watching and seeing what other programs do because it's like, okay, first round matchup on paper, you should dominate this game. Let's see who they throw. I, I love looking at after that first night, just waiting for pitch counts to upload just to see like what are the, what strategies different coaches use because you have some who are you're, they're going to use their guy right away because they're not going to risk losing round one. You have others that kind of do what you're talking about where uh, how far can we get through this game? Maybe we can pull them early. You have others who's, who are going to start their like two guy and then bring the one on Wednesday. It's just it's really interesting and fascinating. But I do wish we did the series because I think one of the cool things that you guys have done in your league for a long time, and we finally did this year, is we now play a three game series, and it's every week against one you know one division opponent or one league opponent, and it's been so nice because now it's like okay, we can't just game the system and make sure our number one always throws against Sprague. Now it's going to be like Sprague and us are going to play three games, and we're going to empty the whole empty the barrel, and one team's going to come out with two wins. And I think it's such a better form of baseball than the single elimination that we have. It's it's I love three game series. You have to have three starters. You have to have a bullpen. Um, but it's a shame that we do it that way. And then all of a sudden state happens like, wait, <laughs> we're, we're back okay. into the round robin model yeah. type, type concept. Um, this year was. I mean, this year was probably the most stress I had ever been uh, about setting my rotation because I was always the under the coaching of if you got them, throw them, do not. <laughs> You right. don't want to lose with your number one yet to throw. Right. Uh, and this year we rolled the dice more than I ever have. We were fortunate that we had such a strong team. Uh, but I was getting phone calls and texts from, from scouts saying, what's wrong with Noble? Why is he not throwing? <laughs> because we're, we've got a really deep pitching staff. And I think, you know, the second week we're going to have to ride him a little bit. And I'd like to try to preserve him as much as we could. Thank God it worked out for the most part until that championship game. But yeah, it's going three game series. If, if those who aren't listening and you have any sort of voice or those who are listening, if you have any voice and you aren't doing a three game series, push for it because it makes high school baseball so much better. And you, you utilize more players, too. Well, you mentioned Noble. So you guys ended up uh, in the position you want to be in. You're in the state championship game with Noble Meyer pitching. Um, a few years ago, you had Mick Abel get drafted in you know, in the top 15 picks, the draft, another right-handed pitcher. That was a weird year, though, because you had all the COVID stuff and restrictions. And so then this year, you know, I, I, it was kind of fun to watch from afar. Of It was up in Seattle, so it was close by. You got to go to Lumen Field. You got to go to the draft. And you got to be there and be part of the whole experience when Noble Meyer gets drafted 10th overall by the Marlins um, right out of Jesuit High School. So what was that experience like for you guys? Oh, um, yeah. So with, with Mick, uh, it was during COVID. And so we did the draft with Mick Abel. Yeah, we did the draft at his house. Mm -hmm. and, and I can't remember. It must have been the, the time period of COVID where um, – you know, it was only the tri-count that like Multnomah, Washington, Clackamas. You had to 
have restrictions and everything else. I, I, I can't remember, but for whatever reason, it was safe to go to his house by standards. Uh, and so his thing was really, we were just, you know, is he going to get drafted? Is he going to get drafted? All of a sudden he left the room, came back after being away for like two minutes, showed up and his name was on the TV screen. And, and so the reaction was legit. Uh, Noble's experience was a little more like we got to kind of enjoy the atmosphere. Uh, and so I brought my pitching coach who went to Willamette with me. He's been, um, he's been with me since, oh, I don't even know, probably since 2012. North Salem guy too, I think. Yeah, he played for Chris Lee, uh, played with Jed Lowry, um, Brett Everett. Uh, Jeff Jensen is his name, uh, all-time uh, strikeout record holder at Willamette, knocked out uh, Matt Kozderka. So, huh. uh, but anyway, so Jeff and I went up there. And the cool thing about that weekend, other than the, the anticipation for Noble, was Mick was the starting pitcher for the Nationals right. for the national yeah. team uh, for the Futures game at um, at T-Mobile. And so for us to go back-to-back days to see Jesuits so celebrated and see these two kids who uh, not only are just top of top of the list as far as talent but at the same level uh character these kids were just such good uh classmates they're good teammates they're leaders on campus they handled the the uh spotlight with so much class um it was just really a cool moment to see that these two kids that you know the 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 baseball world got to watch and celebrate were two kids that absolutely should represent what baseball is all about so that was just it was just such a great experience and so i you you'd mentioned off-season stuff earlier and um i kind of want to get into that with you because i think you guys do a really tremendous job of of taking people and kind of helping them to the next level and i i kind of go a sidetrack for this. We both have a, a mutual friend, uh, Nate Rasmussen, who I, I played with at Pacific. And I remember talking to him years ago. This was probably like 10 years ago. And he's like, oh, yeah. I, I, he's like, I talk to Griff all the time. And I'm like, oh, small world. And he, anyway, we talked for a while. And he was talking about um, this book that either you had recommended to him or he had recommended to you. It was called The Inner Game of Tennis. So I'm like, all right. So I, I go and I read it and I'm like, oh my gosh, this stuff's crazy. And he's like, yeah, that's it. And so then we go from there and fast forward many years. And now I, I watched you guys in the off season do all sorts of cool things from normal baseball stuff to then, I think it was this past year, you guys were posting stuff of like playing like ultimate Frisbee or ultimate football or something as like the baseball workout during the off season. And it's just a little bit different. So you can get into a little bit of like what off season looks like at Jesuit for baseball. Yeah. Uh, uh, where do I begin on that? Um, the inner game of tennis was something that was introduced to me by Matt Allison. Um, and it's, I, I used to keep it to my close to my chest. I didn't want to reveal any secrets because it, I, I believe in it so much. Um, and, you know, I, I experimented with my, my son when he was growing up, just how much could I mess him up by trying to overcoach him? Versus, mm-hmm. you know, trick them into doing what we want. And that's kind of the way I can easily or best describe the inner game of tennis. Just tri- make up yeah. external <laughs> drills and then trick them to doing what you're trying to get yeah. them to do. They don't know what it is. 
But then I quickly realized, you know what? I have no problem sharing it because it's so hard for coaches not to take the credit or so hard for coaches not to say, you see why this worked because you did X, Y, and Z. It's like, no, you just ruined it, <laughs> you know? And so um, I, I truly believe in that book. I, I We have staff members and uh, admin who like to play golf. I'm like, seriously, I learned how to work 150 in because of the inner game of tennis. Um, I strongly recommend you read this book. Uh, I can't hit a driver to save my life, but I feel really comfortable 150 in. And it's it's truly just, I just find my rhythm. I, I, I find my song that I know is with the tempo of my swing. Anyway, so getting into our off-season stuff, we try to do the same thing. You do you just hit mass ground balls over and over and over again. It's just going to get kind of boring for all of us. So we just try to find ways to, to work on our pillars um, in the off-season. Sometimes we do really need to work on our feet for infielders, um, uh, you know, whatever, like the, the, the bare necessities might be. But I, I truly believe that when I put together our um, double or nothing tournament, that that makes us a better baseball team than us just doing a inner squad baseball game. Sometimes um, we remind our kids that no matter what we're doing, if we're doing, if we're bowling, which I take our teams bowling all the time, um, it doesn't matter what you're doing as long as you know that you're competing and you're having fun. And so we just use the mindset that if you, uh, the spirit of competition should be fun. Just like when you played wiffle ball, you didn't do it because it was a chore. You did it because you really enjoy competing with your neighbor or your buddy. Uh, just like when you go play dunk hoops, right? You're not doing that because you have to win. You're trying to get a college scholarship. You're, you're going because you like to just compete. So competition is fun. That's like the mindset of us at all the time. And so when does competition really feel stressful? And it's the back half of a game. And so we try to capture moments, you know, anytime we do something that's like backyard baseball or bowling or whatever it is that's not actually baseball. And we just really show who had fun during those moments and who got tight and the kids who got tight, we try to walk them through or not walk them through, but just say, you know, try to find, try to find the joy and try to have the fun in what you were doing. Uh, because as soon as you start getting nervous or you start getting antsy, you're not going to pick up that spare or, you know, you're going to swing at a bad pitch and double or nothing when you don't have to swing until you're ready type stuff. What's a double that, or nothing tournament? What's that? Double or nothing. My dad introduced it to us. Uh, when I was a young, young kid, uh, we had like the perfect flat neighborhood. We didn't have a cul-de-sac, uh, but we had a street. It was like Wayne's World. You could see the car coming from a distance. So it'd be like game on, game off type thing. But with the wiffle ball, the, the roof of our houses was like the perfect distance at our age with a wiffle ball bat for a home run. Uh, <laughs> But then we had rose bushes in front, which quickly came out once my dad introduced this that my mom still not happy with. But the rose bushes mm. came out. And so you, you set up a small diamond and you have to hit uh, you have to get to second base or home. and Everything's a force out, but you have to touch first and third still. So it's a way that you could play baseball with like four kids, you know. Um, and so I, we did it when I was a kid and it was just. Uh, it was every day the neighbor kids would come out. We'd just play double or nothing, double or nothing. And so when I started coaching, uh, I we had a group of kids that didn't enjoy wiffle ball. And I thought, this isn't good. Yeah, that's not right. Enjoy, 
no, if they don't enjoy wiffle ball, they don't really enjoy baseball and they don't really enjoy competition. So then I started really making, because I remember my JV coach, that it, it was like at the end of the year, and this was the group I'm talking about that didn't enjoy wiffle ball. I said, can you just go over there and teach them double or nothing? And he came back 10 minutes later. I go, what's going on? And he goes, they're not feeling it. And it was already a trigger to me. I was like, all right, this group's going to be tough. We're going to have to work with them to explain to them. Like, this isn't, this isn't like, you know, how some kids say, I don't want to hit off a tee. It's, it's, it's little league, you know, or it's T-ball stuff. It's, we got to educate kids on, on why they're playing baseball and why they even play. So, uh, we started doing it with this group and it actually did a great job of demonstrating everything that high school baseball is. And it's making the easy, taking the easy out, you know, not over swinging because there's only one guy on base, right? If there's a guy on second, there can't be a guy on first and third. So if you're down four runs, good luck swinging for the fences for a four run home run with only, you know, two runs possible. So it's just teaching kids to not overreach, um, it's simple. You know, you make errors, you allow free base, you allow free base and double or nothing. They're probably going to score. So, uh, it's, it's just a, it's a real simple little league or, um, you know, backyard baseball kind of baseball game that now has become, uh, our camps every Friday. We just do the, the entire camp on Friday is double or nothing tournament with our youth and our, our high school kids. We play it every once in a while, uh, during practice, uh, before practice, after practice, whatever you just got to get a kind of feel for when a little changeup is needed. So you mentioned you mentioned earlier too, kind of glossed over it real quick when you were talking about offseason workouts. Uh, the word pillars. Are you talking about like pillars in terms of like culture stuff? Or are you talking pillars in terms of uh, like baseball specific things? Culture and and specific. You know, we it's really important that our you know one of our pillars this year for our, our pitching staff is our pitchers have all got to be better, more comfortable throwing the changeup. Um, mm. uh, our infielders, you know, I kind of watch for, uh, do I have a lot of kids who are just reaching for the ball or do they really have a good understanding that their feet are the ones feeling the ball? Uh, offensively, are we a team that's putting the ball way too much in the air or are we a team that with two strikes can really make a good adjustment and hit the ball uh through the four hole or six hole and just stay mm. short to the ball and not strike out, but also not hit a, you know, a 500 foot high fly ball that's caught by the second baseman. Um, so those are like pillar uh, fundamentals that are, that are really important to us, but also the culture side of things is, is really important. And, and one of the pillars is, um, is just our leadership. And we don't, we don't assign team captains. The, the captains are voted at the end of the year. Um, and I do it because every day I try to select somebody else to lead something or go do something or show some sort of leadership side of things, whether it's, you know, it's a rising sophomore or it's, uh, it's a senior who's been in, in the program for four years. Are you guys able to do um, like classroom time or do you do a lot of that sort of talking stuff like on the field? No, we do a lot of classroom time. and. Um, and that's actually, I'm glad you asked that because we communicate with our kids via email. Um, and so our kids are taught really quick that if I send an email, you better read it because I don't communicate with parents. Um, everything that needs to come out, change of schedule, practice time, 
uniforms, whatever it might be, it goes to the kids and the kids are taught to forward this to your parents. And if your parents don't know about it, it's not a lack of me not being prepared. It's a lack of you not communicating. So I know that's a lot on you being a high schooler, but we're really intentional on making kids look for my emails and understand what the emails are reading. And we talked to him. It's like, this is why I'm so strict on it. And it's because we do a lot of, uh, we do a lot of classroom time and we do a lot of um, uh, game, game planning. Uh, and so even when I send like a practice plan out via email, I'll ask a kid what we're doing. Or if a kid comes to me, it's like, what are we doing today? It's like, man, if only if I sent that email out, that would have been <laughs> so good. But it's intentional because now if I have kids who can comprehend what I've just put in an email or they can see what our game plan is, I can talk to them in the third day. It's like, all right, this isn't working. They're doing this now. They're pitching to us like that. Or they brought this left in. His actions are like this our kids can make those uh, mid-game adjustments. I can draw a play in the sand, and I feel like the kids can make that adjustment. Um, So when we do classroom time, it's that same concept that I tell them is, we're taking away field time. And you all know how much I love to practice. I love on-field VP. (laughs) I love whatever it might be. So if I'm taking time away from practice because we're in a classroom, that means this is probably really important. You might want to listen and focus up because it's got to come into play on that field. And so we're pretty, um, we, we like to do a lot of classroom time, um, whether it's our sports psychologists that we use, or if we go in and talk about, uh, you know, our hitting approach that we want to focus on or um, whatever it might be. Well, you talk about like hitting pro- approach and then earlier you're talking about, the, <laughs> uh, you know, poking a ball through the four hole uh, brings back a memory of us losing the semifinal game to you in the eighth inning. And I, I'll never forget it for, for many reasons, obviously, but the, the, the big one that I took away from it is I don't remember who it was. Someone in your kid up to bat and there's like a runner on second or something like that in the eighth inning. And I think, we, I think there's two strikes on, but I can't remember whatever it is. Someone from your dugout uh, yells out something about just poking it through the four hole. And sure enough, very next pitch, guy just pokes the ball through the four hole runner scores games over. And I remember uh, maybe like a week later, two weeks later, I finally like, ah, I guess so I text you. I'm like, hey, man, do you guys like, is this something you guys practice? Because this has been bothering me for a while. That someone from your dugout just like yells out, hey, just hit it through the four hole. And the guy's like, all right. And then he just hits it through the four hole and we lose the game. Well, and then the next game uh, we won because Kevin Blair hit it through the four hole to walk it off. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Uh, by the way, that team of yours, holy cow, that that team was electric. And I still I had friends that went to that game that still talk about your team. Uh, you did you do such a good job with your programs uh, and getting the most out of them. But those that team was scary. <laughs> that team was scary. And they played with so much, um, so much passion and so much fun behind them, which made them even tougher. Not only were they so talented, but they didn't care what the scenario was. They didn't care who the heck they were playing. They didn't care where they were. They were just going to play as a group and just watching your teams play that every year you, you create that. So props to you on what you do. That's an amazing job. Thank you. As a special group. Yeah. Well, you continue to do it. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, uh, but no, we, we just, 
I, I can't take credit for for Joe Angeli hitting the ball through the four hole or Kevin. That's Blair his name. Dang it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I that I don't I can't take credit for that. Um, I do think we, we what we our coaches could take credit for is uh, teaching our kids the importance of you know hitting a lot. We we talk about it a lot, and some of our kids struggle with it. It's like it's okay to hit the ball at the feet of the outfielders. It's okay that we're not trying to hit it over the outfielders' heads, but we actually want to hit line drives through a four-hole, six-hole up the middle, but that it lands at the feet of the outfielders. And there are some kids that just their swings aren't designed for or they don't want to do it, and they're strong enough in high school baseball they can get away with just poking holes in fences and over the fences. Uh, But the average high school baseball player, you know, you've just got to be comfortable just hitting line drives. and so that I think with that group, that's what you kind of got out of Joey Angeli. He was never a kid trying to elevate a ball uh, over the fence. He knew what his what his strengths were, and it was hit a line drive, get on base, use a courtesy runner, Josh Dahl, and Josh Dahl was still second, still third, and then score from third to home on a ground ball. I mean that that's he just knew what we had. So, like I said. We're intentional on what we get out of our, our hitters, uh, but I can't take any credit for, or we can't take any credit for Joe's baseball ability to, to just roll a ball through the four hole. That took like 73 hops. <laughs> yeah. As you're just watching your season end in slow motion. Yeah. Gosh, dang it. I remember uh, one of the cooler things that I've ever had as a head coach was, uh, and I, I'll, I don't remember his name, but I believe he was the catcher in that game for you guys. And there's a collision at one point at home plate. And he either came out of the game or the game was stopped for a little while. And after the game, might have been the same night or the next day, he finds me on Twitter and DMs me like a long paragraph. And I tried to find it, but I, I can't find it. And um, basically just saying like how uh, impressed he was by our program and by our team and how great of a game it was and how much luck he wishes on us in the future. And I remember thinking like this is a high school kid who just – won a semifinal game. They're going to the state championship and he's had a collision in that very game that could have let him be upset with us even. And here he is fine tracking me down on Twitter and sending me this very kind paragraph, just saying how, how much he, I don't know, and if admired the right word, but just how much he appreciates our program. And we're thinking, wow, this is, this is very different. Yeah. That's Kelly McCarthy. Um, it was the same thing. Joe hit the ball through the four hole and Keller, I just rolled the dice because it's after our kids slid over home plate and you were so yeah. on top of it. Uh, so on top of it. And sure enough, he went cleats up over. He just hover planed over home plate and Jim Courtney, the umpire called it right. I mean, um, and so it was the next inning. We were trying to just, let's just win this game. And he hit another ball through the four hole and definitely shouldn't looking now. I should have held him. But I rolled the dice and your kid came up and just threw a dot right to the catcher. And there was a collision. Um, and Keller was down for a long time. And, and it sucked because he was a kid who earned every bit to be our starting right fielder. He was a great senior leader. And he was, I think he was more worried that he was gonna, he was concussed and wouldn't be able to play in the championship game. Um, but that's the kind of kid Keller was. He was somebody who was an amazing leader. He still is. Uh, and he would recognize the, the level of competition that he was playing against. And again, it was really obvious playing against that team that you had, how they were just a bunch of tight high school kids playing a fun game. 
Yeah, that, that's the most fun teams are when all the kids, like kind of like what we talked about at the very beginning of this whole thing of like the ability to mix uh, fun with you know, trying to win, you know, like competitive fun. And it's it's hard for some kids to get to that point. But when you have a whole group of them that know how to do that, it makes for not only obviously really fun season, but seasons where teams can get it can get really far into the playoffs and, and, and make some magical things happen. I think one of the, I don't know, one of the probably really exciting things for you, we'll get into one of them in a second, but I think one of them is that you guys also just, it might've even been during the season near the end of the season, you guys finished hitting, uh, building a, like a hitting facility. Yeah. Just got done. Just finished. Right. When all the rain stopped, it got. Done. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, so we have, we're fortunate that Jesuit owns property behind our, our campus. And it's, uh, it's got a Starbucks. It's got some office buildings. It has a bowling alley. Um, it has a Jack in the box. <laughs> it has a, uh, like a daycare, learn to swim center. Uh, and then it had a old movie theater that, mm-hmm. It's just sitting abandoned and our president who, I mean, how fortunate are we that we have an administration that really wants to continue to grow our facilities and, and, and improve our facilities uh, for academics and athletics. And so he walked through it and said, this could be an indoor batting cage. And then, so there's three classrooms. There's one of the, or I'm sorry, three movie theaters. There's one of the main room. And it's about the size of a gymnasium floor, not, not a gymnasium, but like a gymnasium, a basketball floor. So, mm-hmm. um, and then it's got two smaller theaters uh, upstairs that we converted into classrooms because Jesuits in uh, need of some more classrooms. So we have a, now an indoor kind of field house where we have cages that drop down and we have they're all independent of each other. So we could have one cage down, two up or all three up or all three down, whatever it might be. Um, and so we're, we're, and it's, it's fully turfed, not air conditioned yet. It gets really hot in there. We're hoping we can get that air conditioned. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an amazing facility. Um, I know our soccer coach has already put in some goals in the storage. So uh, during the soccer season, if he wants, he can have some of his players come and do just futsal uh, our, mm-hmm. our, uh, track program wants to bring in some pole vault mats uh, to practice pole vault in the off season. Our cheer, our cheer team has mats in there so they can do some cheer practice. Uh, and then we have our, bat, uh, we have our pitching machines in there so we can hit in there. Yes. Very lucky, very fortunate, and very excited. And black walls. That's cool. Yes. So that was at first the design team wanted to make it bright. And they said, what are your oh, thoughts no, no. on white walls? I was like, no, no. <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> the worst thing. Uh, and they're like, what do you want? I go black or Jesuit green, which is like a forest green, a yeah. dark green. And when they first painted it, I walked in and I was like, oh man, this is going to be on me. This is going <laughs> to cost a lot of money to fix. <laughs> and then they brought in the lights and it looks incredible. You can see yeah. really well in there. They're dimmable, they're LED, there's tons of them. Um, it looks really nice. It's it's amazing. Yeah, we have we hit in a in like a gym, and it's it's one of the, the like an original like side gym from 1954, 
and lights will always be broken and the the backdrop is always this kind of creamy yellowy yeah. white so it's hard to see and so every time a guy's complain i'm like well just it's like well just imagine how nice the baseball is going to look when you're outside coming out of a pitcher's hand it's going to be so much easier so we're you know we're practicing way more difficult you know that's what all the guys say we should do so just you know embrace these garbage lights and this terrible backdrop so yeah when i saw the pictures of it and they had the, the black background i was like that is that is the coolest thing because i, I think you know, obviously for hitters, that's a huge difference um, versus the traditional, you know, white walls like we were talking about. Well, and the, and you bring up a really funny point because when I was at Willamette coach or playing, uh, we were down for whatever reason to just one catcher. And I looked over there once and he was catching bullpens and he was catching every game. And so I had just finished hitting or whatever it was, I had time. So I went over there and saw he had like two more there were like two or three more arms that needed to throw. And so I tapped him. I was like, give me your mask and glove. I'll, I'll catch these bullpens for you. And so I caught bullpens for him. And Willamette's got Vegas gold as one of the colors. And so because it was a basketball gym, not a hitting facility, the walls were Vegas gold sure. and white. And I could not see the ball. No. I was getting thumb banged up. I was like, what is this? Who in their right mind can catch like this? That's hilarious. Yeah. So you have the the brand new role. So at the time we're recording this, you're like a week, two weeks, three weeks into it um, as the athletic director now. And I remember um, there's like an article about or something because in my head I saw like, oh, he's the athletic director. Well, well, I think you texted it to me. And I was like, well, I'm sure he'll keep coaching baseball. And I had a couple of buddies and I'm like, no, there's no way he's going to be an AD and coach base. I'm like, people do that. That's a real thing. Uh, like go to Texas, like every head football coach is an athletic director too. Um, so really exciting time for you because not only are you going to continue baseball, but now you're also the athletic director at Jesuit. Yeah, I'm really excited about this. Uh, Mike Hughes is the former AD. He did it for 18 years. Uh, unfortunately, he's still on on campus. And so... Uh, I call him probably every day and I say, I know your phone's not supposed to be ringing this much now that you're no longer an AD, but Mike's been there to, to help. But it's, it's been a lot of fun. I, I love this side of, uh, of things. I don't, I don't mind the administrative work that the baseball world would bring. Uh, I like that every day is totally different. And I love the fact that I get to help our coaches just coach. Um, and I like that coaches come in for, you know, just somebody to talk to, somebody to listen to. Um, whatever it is, but I'm really enjoying it. Um, I'm fortunate that I, I get the opportunity to coach as well. Uh, I would say those who are out there who are in the same situation, um, any advice for me, please send, send me a message. I, I, I'll take any advice, uh, but I am lucky that I have such a strong coaching staff as well uh, in the baseball side of things that I, I trust that for whatever reason, if I'm not there or late to practice, that they will they'll keep the ship moving. This this early in your tenure, what's the most difficult thing so far, do you think, as being an athletic director? Uh, well, that's a that's a good question. I don't look at it as difficult. I think it's the most um, uh, <laughs> it's not even frustrating. I, I would say, like, I mean, sitting on my desk right now, I have a just a huge checklist of things to do and five minutes into walking into my office, my, my day is totally different than what I was planning on to, to do. So yeah. I think it's just being aware that you can't get frustrated or uh, get annoyed or 
or, or any of that, that you're not getting what you need to get done. The important thing is that you do get it done. You got to find time to get it done. Um, and then, um, yeah, I, it's just, you know, just going to be managing everything and making sure that things don't, don't slip, uh, because if it does, it's on me and, and it affects the overall program. So I think those are the things that I'm really just cautious of to make sure that, um, that I don't drop the ball. I'm, I'm really fortunate that I've, uh, Jezra has an amazing, uh, assistant to the athletic director. Uh, who does really good work and is really attentive to details. So she's an incredible um, piece of this puzzle. Because that's what you were doing before. And so now you you end up having to replace yourself. I think one of the things that you did is, is when the season was still going, it, it, you had sent an email out to, uh, you know, the coaches in Oregon about how you guys were going to stay home for spring break and, you know, the spring of 2024. You had just in this past year got all the way to like Gary and, you know, played the USA baseball deal and kind of traveled all over. And so getting to kind of stay home and, and just do spring break at home in, I, I thought as soon as you took the AD job, like what a good gift that is too. Now that you, you're not going to be down in you know Arizona or Southern California or all the other side of the country during spring break while you're also having to be athletic director. Um, and how nice that'll be to have a, at least a year to just kind of be essentially home during spring break. Yeah, that's by, yeah. Jesuit has a rule. We can't leave the state every year. We have to stay every other year. We're allowed to, leave the state for spring break. So that was just because of how it lined up. If, if it was, if I took the job next year, I would definitely be, yeah, hands full with another t- task to plan a, a, a spring break trip. Uh, last baseball question, because I want to hear about it. Uh, you mentioned earlier you like on-field BP. I know you guys usually, uh, for the most part, are able to get it in during uh, pregame stuff as well. But during a normal practice for on-field BP, how do you tend to set it up? So on-field BP is the most valuable thing uh, I think our kids get out of practice. Uh, I, I spoke at the um, at the convention this past, uh, when was it, January or February, about what we do for on-field batting practice uh, because we get so much accomplished during the on-field BP. Uh, it gives us um, a chance for our our fielders to face live, uh, you know, live runners, live, live uh, balls off bat, uh, has our, we have an approach or a concept with our hitters that, um, some of it is their control. Some of it is our control. Uh, and then also it's a big piece of our base running. Uh, it's a big piece of our base running that, uh, that we're able to accomplish. So we're getting, all sorts of aspects of our of of the game accomplished in forty five minutes, um, and so I love it. We try to do it every single day. It's not the same thing every day, uh, but it is something we take on field BP every single day. Uh, yeah, I remember the, the one. Of the, so you guys have an all turf field, so it makes the pregame BP a lot smoother. I know a lot of guys um, with with dirt fields will do it too. It just takes a lot more work for it. But I love. I think that's one of the. There's a lot of benefits to turf, and there we get tons of obviously. But I think the ability to take pregame pregame BP and not have to worry about the lines or the dirt or rakes or anything like that. Um, and I just think of all the additional time you're able to kind of then pour into the program uh, with your kids, and so. Uh, 
the the pregame BP part two, I think ends up being a really fortunate deal is kind of an extended warm up almost because it's so different than, you know, all right, let's go in the cages and, and swing it for a little bit. Just being able to see it on the field, to be able to defend it on the field, to see the ball flight on the field and the lighting and all that stuff. I think it, it tends itself really well to uh, a, a better prepared team when game time comes around. Yeah. You, you nailed it, Max. When, when playoffs came around, you, you again, you always do all that back work. Um, when you found the stats on teams who made the postseason uh, with turf and, and not mm-hmm. with turf. I mean, I, when, when I was at Lakeridge, I fundraised to get that place turf because I was sick of losing to all the teams that had turf. We were beating teams that didn't have turf, but I couldn't consistently beat the teams that had turf. And we were getting beat because they were able to do the fundamentals every single day, whether we were at a tennis court or we would run to a turf field for like 30 minutes before fifth grade soccer kicked us off. You know, <laughs> it's for, for the school districts who don't understand how valuable it is for the kids to have the ability to practice every day, to have the ability to practice quickly and get home for school. Uh, because after practice on a natural surface, you're still spending 30 minutes taking care of your facility. Um, It allows for your lower levels to practice. It's just, I don't know what what your school district's doing. I know the Beaverton School District, which is around Jesuit, they've invested where by 2027, I think all the fields are going to be turfed. Um, It just, up in the Northwest, you just have to have it. I think last question, um, I you mentioned Germany, and it brought back a memory that I hadn't thought of for a long time. Oh, I remember, uh, at, at, no, it's, it's not one of those, but at, with uh, we had the at Willamette, which is where we played for our Legion games, so they had a clubhouse and everything, and I remember I stole a shirt, and it was uh, from your like locker area, and it was... It was like a German t-shirt jersey type thing with like a McDonald's advertisement on it. I remember I stole it and then I tried to like, I wore it around you one time and you're just like, oh, you can just have that. And I, then you just reminded me of Germany earlier. I have no idea whatever happened to that shirt. So if it was important to you, I'm so sorry because it is probably at goodwill at some point and someone probably bought it and who knows where it is now. I, I would love for that to pop up somewhere. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I think I have one shirt remaining from that, that club. Um, <laughs> but that's funny. I, yeah. I don't know if, what story you want, but yeah, McDonald's was a, was a sponsor of ours. So, which was what, I mean, we look like a NASCAR team. We had sponsors yeah. all over our shirts and jerseys. I don't know what half of them meant or said, but I did recognize <laughs> the golden arches. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I recognized too. Uh, Griff, thanks for doing this, man. I, you know, I appreciate you. I've admired you for a long time. Obviously having played for you is it helped me kind of, get into it and, and just love playing for you. And so I know that every, every kid who gets a chance to play in your program is better for it. And like you said, they're, they're probably having a lot of fun and learn how to compete. And I think all that's kind of some of the most important things we can do as coaches is to kind of help our players get to that point. Um, so thank you for doing this. Um, I don't know, you know, if there's anything we missed or anything you wanted to talk about or whatever, but here's the mic one more time, Griff. Oh, no, I just, I love that you do this. I love that you're continuing to to keep you know the org or the baseball community so so much closer to one another um it's just fun to follow i'm really proud of you as 
I, I guess I can say it, that you were a player of mine, even though I think it was like a five-year age gap, but I'm just <laughs> proud that here, here's a, here's a former player of mine who's absolutely dominating in the baseball world and in the teaching world. You can see how much your kids um, respond to you uh, on and off the field. So I'm proud of you, Max. Thanks for all that you're doing and uh, continue your good work because you are really important to the, to the game of baseball and to the kids. <laughs> well, thank you. Appreciate it. All right, man. Have a good one. Enjoy your AD job. <laughs> thank you. Good talking to you. <laughs> you too. All right. If you're ever up in Oregon and you have a chance to attend a high school baseball game, you really need to check one out at Jesuit. The environment is crazy. The fans absolutely pack the place. And the stands are kind of like right up against the field and, and you're just like right on top of everything. It's such a unique place and the home to so many great baseball players over the years. Griff always finds a way to tap into a deeper level in his players to get the most out of them. And I'm sure you caught that throughout the conversation. If you aren't signed up yet for the newsletter or if you haven't picked up some High School Coaches Club stickers, you should definitely do so. Head on over to highschoolcoachesclub.com to get started. Don't forget to leave a rating or a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. And no matter where you're listening, hit that subscribe button. Most importantly, though, if you found any value at all from this or any previous episode, share it on social media via email to your fellow coaches or through the old-fashioned word of mouth. It truly doesn't matter how you do it. Just find a way to bring a few more listeners in who might benefit. That's how we all get better. That's how we grow the club. Huge fist bump to Griff for jumping on the call with me. Thanks again to Netting Pros for sponsoring the episode and to you for clicking that play button. If you have any recommendations for people who should be guests on the show, be sure to reach out to me, even if that recommendation is you. Follow the club on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at HS Coaches Club. You can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Max Price and can reach me via email, max at highschoolcoachesclub.com. All right, that's it. That's all I got. You're awesome. You matter. Thanks for all you do. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you.